I want you to see some truth found about these men that we call the wise men and find out why they were wise in what they did. There's an old invitation song that says, no turning back, no turning back. But what does that mean for us? You see, we've all made decisions in life, some good, some bad, some indifferent, that today there's no changing those decisions, that there's no turning back. And the truth is, that's always the case with decisions we make. In fact, Robert Frost once wrote about two roads diverging into one, and he ends it by saying this. He says, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. That he took the road less traveled. You see, every decision that we make, every road that we choose has a destination, has a consequence. You see, every road leads someplace. So we want to be careful which road we choose because we may not be coming back that same path. In our text, we read about these wise men. They were wise men, but what made them so wise? Well, in this case, they were wise because of the decisions that they made and the choices that they made were very wise. When we're first introduced to these men, they stopped in Jerusalem to ask a question. And it's a great question. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2 says this, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And as they left Jerusalem, we're told this. It says, Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Why did the wise men choose the paths they took? Why did they do what they did? It's because God led them. Then when they left Bethlehem, we're told this in verse 12. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Again, God led them. God led them by the star to get to Bethlehem. God led them with a dream to return home another way. And they were wise enough to listen to God when he led them. You see, I truly believe that even today, even for us, if we let him, God will lead us just like he led the wise men. In fact, in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, it says this. It says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong and on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. That God is still looking for men and women who want to be led by him. He's looking for anyone that will allow him to lead us. And we don't have to worry about God not wanting us. If we make up our mind to be God's people, God wants us. Because he had decided to want God. God desires for that because he's looking for us. That God would work with and have our backs. So catch this. Even what Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, Paul says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. You see, in other words, once we become Christians, God has things planned for us to do. And that's what God wants for us. You see, God had good works already designed just for us.
You see, God didn't save us just to sit around and look pretty. Now, I know not that you're not pretty and good looking and all those kinds of things. It's just that that's not why God saved you and me. God saved us so that our lives would have a meaning. So that we have a reason to exist. Or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, where Paul says, My beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's talking about us. When we allow God to lead us, that we have to be steadfast, we have to be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that what we do is not in vain. Let's get back to the wise men. Is there any way that God had anything to do with their desire to follow the star? Of course he did. And he did that because their story would be a powerful part of God's message. Someone had an interesting observation about the Gospel of Matthew. He said that Matthew gave more space to the text about the Magi or the wise men that he gave the birth of Jesus. And even in Matthew, he never mentions the shepherds or the manger. He emphasizes seekers and the star that they saw. And this person is right. The only mention of Christ's actual birth in Matthew is in one verse. And that is Matthew 2.1, where Matthew says this. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. And see, there's a whole chapter leading up to that statement. And that is the only verse that specifically mentions the birth of Christ. Just one verse, and that's it. But then you contrast that. There's 12 verses that tell us the story of the wise men. So you kind of have to scratch your head and you kind of have to wonder why. You see, no reason on why the wise men became part of the story. But I think there is something distinctive about these Magi, these wise men from the East. For you see, they were the first Gentiles to worship Jesus. And apparently it's important for us to know. And I'm convinced that is why these Gentiles became a major part of the story. You see, someone put it this way. And some believe this, and I don't. It just gives a pretty good observation about it. That actually God had a plan A. And when he put this plan A into action, he didn't see something happening. He didn't foresee Israel would reject Christ. So it's actually like God made a mistake. Or like God didn't expect that to happen. And I just can't wrap my mind around that because God doesn't make mistakes. God knows all and sees all. So this group, if you read about him, goes to a plan B. That God went with plan B. In other words, the Gentiles, the wise men. And it's a repeated theme throughout the New Testament that God had always intended that the Gentiles be part of the church. Paul gave the Roman church a short Bible study in this topic of uh, Romans uh, chapter 15. That the Roman church was split between Jews and Gentiles. And the Jews needed to be reminded of the fact that the Gentiles were part of God's original plan all along. And in Romans 15, Paul went through four passages from the Old Testament that prophesied that the Gentiles, part of the church, would be there. And then the last four prophecies was from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 10. 
But then Paul says in Romans 15, 12, that the root of Jesse, Jesus will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. In other words, the Gentiles were always part of God's plan. That Jesus came to die for both Jews and Gentiles. There was no other option. There was no plan B. God always had the Gentiles part of his plan. You see, God singled that truth when he sent the Magi or the wise men. You see, they were the first Gentiles to worship Jesus. So why is this important to us today? Well, it should be important because God used the Magi to send a message. And the message that the Gentiles were part of his plan. And in the same way, when you are committed to Christ, God can use you to send a message just like he used the wise men. And that message that once we meet Jesus, our life changes. And that brings me to another point in verse 12 of Matthew 2. It says, they departed into their own country another way. You see, once the wise men worshiped Jesus, they were changed. They were changed people. And that change made them return home another way. Now, I don't know if that's what God intended when that verse was written. I suspect they might be stretching the text maybe a little bit when they, we talk about this a lot of times. But what I do know, that whether that was God's intention or not, the idea is still true. It's still solid. That once you worship Jesus, now please get this, that once we truly worship Jesus, you go home different. You go home a changed person. So grab that. Once we truly worship Jesus, we're different. And we go home different. We go home changed. You see, over the next month, I want to talk about when we truly meet Jesus and how he changes us. This week, we're focusing on the fact that meeting Jesus can change the way we live. Next week, we're going to talk about the change the way we worship. The next week, we change the way we see our priorities. And week four, how he can resurrect the way to a new life for us. You see, Jesus taught a lot about the way that he wanted us to follow. In fact, he says in Matthew 7, 13 through 14, Matthew says, enter the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. It says and those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So in essence, Jesus was saying that there's only one way to heaven. So let that sink in. Jesus says this in the scripture that... There's only one way to heaven. He also says this, and it's going to be hard. It's not going to be popular. He says that not many people will choose that way. Even back in 1971, Led Zeppelin performed a, a song called Stairway to Heaven. Then in 1979, ACDC came out with a song Highway to Hell. And when someone compared the two songs, they observed this. They said the fact that there's a highway to hell and only a stairway to heaven says a lot about the anticipated traffic patterns. So why does the highway lead to hell? It's pretty easy because it is easier. It's faster. It's more fun. But you see, the stairway to heaven is different. The stairway to heaven 
can be tough. You climb, you exert yourself, it can wear you out. But compared to the easy highway to hell, the stairway to heaven is worth the effort. I mean, catch what Revelations 21, 3 through 5 says. Because it describes heaven this way. It says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Heaven will be worth the effort. The narrow way may be difficult, but understand it's our only way to God. And this idea of following the narrow way was so powerful with early Christians that they often referred to themselves as followers of the way. And these are mentioned no, no less than five times in the book of Acts. In fact, in Acts 9-2, for example, Paul told them about the time he persecuted the early church. And he said that it was his objective that if, catch this, that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That was his desire then. So you might ask, what is this way that Jesus spoke of? What are we talking about when we talk about the way? Well, Jesus says it pretty clearly in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we see Jesus is the way. When we gather on Sundays, it's not always just for a moral lesson. Granted, morality is part of what we are committed to. But our main focus is on Jesus. Because without Jesus, morality means nothing. It's Jesus or nothing. Back in the 1400s, there was a clergyman named Thomas Kempis who wrote this. He said, without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. And he is right. There is nothing for us if we don't have Jesus. You see, that's why everything about becoming a Christian centers around him. That's why it says that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. It says that's why we repent of our sins and we realize it's the blood of Jesus that forgives our past. It also tells us that we confess that Jesus is now our Lord and Savior. That everything we are and everything that we have belongs to him. It tells us that we have to be baptized that we're baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. Because that's what baptism is about. But in order to make that decision, you've got to decide that once we make that decision, we're never going back to the old way of life. You see, and that's true for everybody and us as well. That the only way for us to follow the way to heaven is to plan a one-way trip. That old gospel song we talked about at the beginning that old gospel hymn that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Folks, what is our decision today? Are we going to take the highway, the wide way, the easy way? Yes, maybe the more fun way, the faster way. 
Or are we going to take Jesus' way? The way, the truth, and the life. The narrow way. Yes, it may be harder. Yes, it may mean we're climbing steps. But it's going to take a lot of effort for us to do so. But in the end, it is so worth it. Folks, no turning back. No turning back. Take care and God bless.